Welcome back to the Most Hated F Word podcast, episode number 11, How to Become Financially Independent and Fulfilled with my guest, Jerry and Maria. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F Word podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F word. I had a lot of fun with Jerry and Maria in this episode. As we talked about many valuable things that you'll hear in this interview, we talked about how to become financially independent and fulfilled at the same time, how to make decisions based on our time and money, and how Jerry and Maria paid off their mortgage in five years. And even we talked about how pizza, yes, pizza almost made them break up as a couple. But most importantly, what I took out of this conversation is the importance of having a clearly articulated financial why as a couple. And essentially, a financial why is why do we trade our time for money? But to at a further extent, what I learned is how to effectively communicate with each other in a relationship in order to achieve that financial why. And you can really hear that in this conversation with Jerry and Maria. I want to leave you with one quote before we start the show that this came from Jerry. He said, financial independence for us started as a number and has moved to what fulfills us. Enjoy. All right. Welcome to the Most Hated F Word podcast episode number. I have actually no idea, but welcome to the podcast. I'm fortunate to have Jerry and Maria Smith with me today. Before I allow them to take the floor, I want to provide you with a bio that I created. Fill in the gaps, you guys, if I mistake anything or make an error. But Jerry and Maria are a fantastic couple pursuing financial independence here in Edmonton. And it's not just Jerry and Maria on this journey, but their one and a half year old daughter who's coming along on the journey with them. Maria works in Edmonton as a full-time teacher while Jerry is a power engineer. Their pursuit of financial independence started, I believe, five to 10 years ago, but I'm going to get them to fill in that gap. And a big part of financial pursuing financial independence is focusing on what not to spend your money on so that you can buy your freedom. But one thing that they have made sure, despite have paying off a mortgage in five years of $342,000, travel was something that they really prioritize. And I'm sure we'll talk about their love for travel, as I really like to travel as well. Maria has her own blog called Handful of Thoughts, and it's a place where she shares what she's learned on her journey as a new mama pursuing financial independence, including successes and struggles. I thought it'd be really good to have Jerry and Marie on the podcast today because they are a couple who are pursuing financial independence. But most importantly, I feel like they are a couple who've been able to develop communication in their relationship pertaining to finances that I think it would be great to explore. So Jerry and Maria, welcome to the show. Thanks. We're yeah, happy thanks. to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, we. I actually first met you guys when uh, you were doing a presentation at Mogul Realty Group. And I really didn't think too many people were talking about financial independence in Edmonton. And there you guys are having a great presentation. And from that moment on, we kind of developed this relationship where we share finance information back and forth. But I think it's really, since you guys have had a kid and I have two kids now, some of the conversations have shifted towards, hey, how's the family? How's the kids? How's the time with the kid? So my first question for you guys is, what is financial independence to you? We have the, the definition that we see on the internet, but what is financial independence to you and your family? I think the big piece for us is that financial independence is having the freedom over our own time. I don't think we'll ever retire early. I think at one point in our life, we're like, oh, we're going to retire, sit around and do nothing. Um, but as we kind of get older and now as we have a family, it's, it's not necessarily about sitting back and doing nothing. It's about having the freedom over our time. So that's one thing actually we've definitely been solidified in this whole kind of current pandemic situation that we're in. I'm working from home and I'm like, I'm loving it. I've got so much time with yeah. the little one and we've got a lot of time together as a family because Jerry is a shift worker. So we have a ton of time together and it's like, this is pretty awesome. Like, how do we get this to kind of 
keep going, right? Our jobs don't allow us to do that all the time, but we're going to take advantage of it now. But that financial independence piece, I think is the big, it's time freedom. That's the big one for us is just having that freedom to do what we want with our time. Yeah. I agree. And then now not it, it has shifted from a, a dollar amount because you're kind of clueless about financial freedom initially. So you're going, oh, we want this much net worth and then we're done and we're just going to sit around and do nothing. And that'll be great. Where now it's like, okay, like how can we maximize our time? Even if it's like, what if I work two extra years, but work less overtime? Does that overall give us, you know, more time with our family or daughter at this point in her life? rather than, you know, just having some arbitrary, you have to have this many million to not do anything anymore in your life. Yeah. You know, okay. You, you touch on a really good point. And for the person who is listening, who might not actually know financial independence, like the standard definition, why don't you guys fill them in, I guess the internet's version of what financial independence is. And when you talk about seeking this number. So financial independence, the definition of it is essentially when you have 25 times your, your expenses or that you can live off 4% of your investments kind of thing. So, annual if, expenses. right. So if your annual expenses, let's say are a hundred thousand dollars, then you would need to have two and a half million dollars worth of investments that would kick off 4%, which would be your hundred thousand dollars. And then that's how you would live off of that. So the theory behind that is, is that you're living off of the interest earned or the earnings of that investment. So you're never actually touching the principal. You might have to touch it in some years, but then that should last for in perpetuity. They've done, the Trinity study has done a lot of studies on this. And if you're living off 4%, there's some thought that it's like 90% effective that you'll never run out of your money. Now, there's some new stuff coming out right now that maybe it's three and a half percent or 3% or whatever that is, but it's about having that, you know, that net worth of money that you can kind of draw from. So originally we were like, hey, this is a net worth we want to have. Let's just aim for that goal because we didn't really know what financial independence was or anything like that. But now as we get more down that journey, it's like, okay, but there's things we don't want to be full stop retirement, not working, right? So there's things that we can do to kind of design that life we want on the way sort of thing. Mm -hmm. When I first was introduced to financial independence, I really, really liked the notion. I liked how it challenged the status quo of how we look at retirement and how we spend our time. And uh, I think it's overall an extremely positive movement. But over the last couple of years, I've noticed that it almost seems like one goalpost of, say, 65 years old was being replaced with like a 10-year time period to save and, and retire. And it was almost like there was a competition to what's your number? How soon can you reach financial independence? And sometimes it made me think about what are you running from? And is it actually going to create that happiness when you have that time? So I guess my question to you guys is what, what's changed here? Because I can hear it in your guys' conversations that we're having is that you even said, I don't necessarily want to just retire right away. So can you speak to your experience on what has changed in terms of looking at that number versus time? And overall, what do you think is the key to living a happy life? Well, I think like, I guess initially when we started, like I said, it was more of a, oh, we're going to have this many million and we're going to want to have this many, this much yearly income and uh, who knows what we're going to do. You know what I mean? We figure that out once we've achieved it. We're now, I think that part of the plan to get there is to know what we're going to do when we get there. I mean, I've always told Maria, I said, it's, it's tough to go. What am I going to do when we achieve this? If you don't know what that situation's like. So I've always told Maria, I said the first year that I like don't have to have my day job and I quit my day job, I'm just taking it off. I'm not going to have any expectations of myself and I'm just going to see what that time makes me want to do. Now, don't get me wrong. I still have my hobbies and, and things I like to do, which I'll still do. But uh, you know, what, what am I going to do when I don't have to be a power engineer anymore? I haven't 100% figured out but i will say now that and this pandemic's probably sped up the process it's like with a lot more time at home and time with the family and stuff it does kind of make you realize okay like you're probably going to go insane in a couple months if you don't have something to do so i you know it's this, this whole financial journey sean like you said it turns from a number into more of a like philosophical like what's going to fulfill you and uh i i think we could all argue People maybe don't have that figured out. They're just in the rat race, living life how they're programmed to live it. But I think we're, we don't have the answer, but 
but I think we're conscientious of the fact that Maria and I know that if we don't have day jobs, there's got to be some purpose for us. And I think Maria, especially right now, is trying all different things on her own. And uh, and then, yeah, like I said, I'm I'm transitioning away from, oh, you know, what could I do? What could I do to just make a few bucks here, pay for my hobbies? But yeah, I think we're, I don't think we have a full on answer, but I think we understand that like we can't just quit our jobs and expect happiness and have a net worth or an investment account that has blank millions in it. But I think also like when we first started and we first kind of came up with our magic number without really knowing what it meant or anything, the whole financial independence movement, it was about at that, I mean, at that time we were married, no kids, we were young and it was just like, well, we're going to do this and then we're just going to travel. Like we'll just be backpacking bums and who cares? And it was like, okay, that's great and all. And yeah, we still want to do a bunch of traveling, but I mean, I'm not going to want to backpack and live on a shoestring when I'm 70 right? Like that's not a long-term, long-term. I'm not going to want to do that when I'm 50. (laughs) I mean, the nice thing about (laughs) financial independence, I think the movement is it's all about, a lot of it is about mindfulness, right? Like what are you spending your money on and being mindful of that? And so when we kind of found the financial independence movement, it was like, we started having conversations about like, okay, are we aligning our spending with our values? And there was like this big mindset mindset shift that happened because we didn't, neither of us hates our jobs. We're not running from those jobs. We just want to be able to have just more freedom to do what we want to do sort of thing. So I think that's where we started to have a lot more conversations around, okay, we're spending our money on this. Is that where we want to spend it on? Where I think a lot of people just mindlessly spend money or buy things, do things, because that's what everyone else does. You know, and it's like, we don't want to live how everyone else does sometimes. So we just try to think about that more. So. Yeah. And you know, I I really, Jerry, you said, I don't think we have the answers. And I mean, I don't think any of us have the answer, but you said you both said so. Actually, Jerry, you set it up for Maria to finish, and I don't know if you guys uh, realize that. Well, at least the answer to me. But you mentioned that when you started on this journey, you looked at how many X millions to be in the bank account, and then you realized that it's not necessarily the end goal, but at least it, it gave you somewhere to go. And you made a comment about maybe living in the rat race is just basically aimlessly going through the steps every day. And then Maria, when you said you came in. And to you, it meant being mindful and being on this journey to have mindful spending, thinking about where you're spending your hard-earned money. And that mindset shift, to me, I feel like that's the biggest advantage to financial independence is pursuing this journey where who knows where it's going, but we're just being incredibly mindful and having this mental shift that, hey, I can spend my money in a different manner. And there, there was a recent study that I read that um, looked at the traditional money can't buy happiness study that said after $75,000 of household income, happiness or increased money is not correlate with happiness. But the study came back and kind of challenged that and said, well, look at our uh, research findings. And they found that when people are crystal clear on how they're spending their money, there is actually a big correlation or there is a correlation after that $75,000 mark. And it just goes back to your comment of being mindful and having that mental shift. So I really appreciate you guys bring that up because often I don't question the financial independence movement, but I just wonder if people are sometimes engaging in the, for the wrong reasons to just, once I have this free time, I'll be happy. But I mean, I also read a study in a happiness magazine that said couples who are in turmoil or aren't getting along sometimes think a kid is going (laughs) to make them happy. And we both know that (laughs) that's not going to happen. Well, I think also like, I think I I remember reading, we saw somewhere on a show and they were talking about marriage, the same kind of thing. And people think that marriage will fix a problem, but getting married or, you know, reaching financial independence, having a kid, all those things do is shine a light on the problem. Right. Right. It doesn't solve it. It just amplifies it. You know what I mean? So you're right. Like we've had, I mean, we're down this path a few years and we've had time to think about, okay, what does that look like now at the end of the day? And now that we have a family and spending more time, like there's a lot of conversations that are being had about what that looks like. And I mean, our plan changes constantly. One day it's, you know, Jerry's going to stop working first and then I will. And then now maybe I'll stop working first. And so it's constantly in flux, but it's about just being, yeah, again, more mindful of our decisions about what we're doing. That's the biggest piece, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's great for a lot of people to hear because I know sometimes people felt like, oh, I can't become financially independent. I can't save 50, 60% of my money. But what would you guys say to that person who is hearing about financial independence for the first time, or maybe just always thought, well, I'm never going to save up $2 million. 
what would you say about just that mindset shift and the benefits of even doing that? I would say that it's tough to convince anyone of that shift. I mean, Maria was the frugal one, the budgeter in our relationship. And I'll be flat out honest, I couldn't have cared less about any of it. I was not financially incompetent, but I I don't think I would have been in that bad a shape if I hadn't met Maria uh, and she wasn't, you know, so stringent on how we spent money initially and budgeted and and, uh, saved a ton. So it's tough, but I mean, the the end goal has to be focused on, and it can kind of go back to what you're saying, Sean, about the financial independence. Like there's none, none of the math is mind blowing. You know what I mean? It's all simple math. It's that mental shift of this is what it can bring in the future. At this point, I'm still somewhat in my rat race, but I have my plan to get out. So it'll be more of, you know, five years down the road when all of a sudden I'm walking away from a, you know, what I'd argue most people would say is a a very good paying, not too difficult job. So that will be when I can say, well, look, now I have all this freedom. But I think it's tough for me to to be able to say anything like if you'd have told me, it depends how old it is. If you'd have told me any of this advice before I met Maria, I'd have probably not had very nice words to say to you, right? But so I think, I, okay, but you've gone through a mindset shift to a certain yeah. extent, right? Like you've experienced that. And yeah. I think like one of the ways I got you to kind of come around to this was to realize that it's not even about this deprivation. I think a lot of people think like, oh, in order to do that, I have to, you know, cut out everything and I can't enjoy my life and I'm eating rice and beans. And I would argue, I mean, we're, we live a pretty happy life. Yeah, it wasn't. And once Jerry could start to see. I haven't been deprived of much. (laughs) Once Jerry started to see that, oh, wait, we can do this and that, then it started to make a lot of sense. I mean, right now with this whole pandemic is this, it's, it's this prime time to kind of evaluate your expenses because there's so many things that we can't do that are closed. There's a lot of spending you can't do. So it's like, okay, well now that my, you know, whatever gym membership, or if it's a subscription or whatever that is. Now that I'm not doing it, do I miss it? And maybe you were just doing it without even thinking it and maybe you actually do miss it kind of thing, right? So it's just mm-hmm. going through, I think one of the first steps is just like looking at what you spend your money on and not no judgment at all about what you spend your money on. Just be like, okay, does this kind of bring me happiness? Is this and good it's or the, not? And, and I mean, it's it, going back to like, I've listened to some of your other podcasts, Sean, and going back to the, like, the, the concept of opportunity cost, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't understand that concept or that concept wasn't important to me. But now it's like, okay, well, if we pay off our mortgage and now we go out and buy some rental properties, it's like, okay, 10 years down the road here, I'm sitting pretty. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I'll probably, you know, we're talking about transitioning into retirement. It's like in my work, well, maybe I'll work a year where I don't work any overtime and we'll see how, you know what I mean? That'll give me more time at home and just slowly transition away. So I don't know. It's. it's, I think it also means like what you said, like you had a good point in saying that it's really about why are you doing it, right? Like having a really strong why, like a number is one thing and numbers will motivate some people, but when times get tough, a number won't do anything for you, right? Like, but it's that strong why. And I think even now, like now having a kid, it changes our mindset as well. Like for us, it's like, well, I mean, family dinners is something we both grew up with, but one something we can experience a lot now because I mean, Jerry's working shift work. And oftentimes when I go back to work, I'm not always here in the evenings and stuff like that as well. So all of a sudden it's like, being able to sit down and have family dinner every night with our kid is like amazing. Yeah. Right. Like that is such a strong why to get to that end point. And that's going to help motivate us, you know, when times get tough, like things right now going on or whatever, but yeah, really think about why you want to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for you guys, I always find it strange that companies have mission statements and their, their why, so to speak. And often we don't have like a financial why or a why we trade our time for money and go to work. What would be your family's financial why? And, and maybe it is to eat dinner with each other and that encompass or that is representation of something else. But do you guys have a solidified financial why where you make spending decisions from? I think one of the, like, we have a motto, I would say. I don't know how, like, our why per se, but our motto has always been do today what others won't. So tomorrow you can do what others can't. Mm -hmm. That has always been kind of a driving force for us. When things get tough, we always like, well, if this was easy, everyone would be doing it kind of thing. And that is a big motivator to us to kind of just keep going and keep persevering sort of thing. And it's a matter of, because I think one of the benefits that we both have in our jobs is we have these glimpses of time 
where we're not working. So as a teacher, I get two months off in the summer. Mm-hmm. As a shift worker, I mean, Jerry gets a ton of time off for years. We have both had a month off in the summer together. And just to have all that time was just like, this is amazing. Like, I don't know how people do it who only have two weeks of vacation a year. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it was just like that feeling of, you know, no pressure, no demands on your time. It's like that feeling is a big driving force for us of just like that. No stress can do whatever you want with our time. And it doesn't matter. I think that's really a big driver for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So earlier, Jerry, you said that without Maria, you don't know where exactly you would be. Maybe she convinced you. I don't know. You guys both can fill me in on this, but somehow you guys decided to pay off your mortgage about $360,000 in five years. I, I don't think you adopted this mindset prior to Maria. No. How did she convince you to do that? And what was the point where you're like, okay? I don't know. I, <laughs> I had just, what I just gotten out of Nate, we just started dating. So I'd kind of just started my power engineering. So I got, it was kind of, it wasn't the first time I'd gotten big paychecks or anything like that, but it was like, okay, all of a sudden I'm getting good paychecks. So it was like, okay, you know, I had a vehicle already. I think we ended up sharing an an apartment that you were in. So it was like, I don't know, like I didn't even at that point, even though I had been in school for the last year, I kind of still had a half decent lifestyle. And I don't think I I ever really had the opportunity to inflate my lifestyle because right when I started power engineering is when we started dating. So you got your like claws in on my paychecks, like right from the get go. But Going back to kind of what Maria said, it's like, I've never really been like super deprived of any, like, like if I want to do something for the most part, and we value it enough, I golf, I ski, I have my hobbies and I spend in the thousands of dollars each year on those hobbies. So it's like, I've never really been that deprived. It's more of a, okay, so I'm making my oil field money. I, I worked up in Fort Mac for two years. We didn't buy the new truck every three years. We're not getting a holiday trailer that we're using for two week uh, for two weekends a summer. All that kind of lifestyle, keeping up with the Joneses, we never really did. And maybe I wouldn't have. Maybe I would have if I hadn't met Maria. I think it would have probably been a little balance of both. But Maria just saw no value in it. And to be honest, I didn't mind. I didn't mind saving. I wasn't mad that we were saving money. And there was one time you, you want to ask, how did Maria do it? Like, I think she did it secretly. I just like, here, the money goes into my account. There was one time she asked me, I think I said this in our presentation. I was like, yeah, she's like, oh, how much money do you think I have saved up? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't, in the last like four months, I was like, she's like, how much money do you think I've saved? And I was like, we've saved, we've we've saved. saved. Yeah. I think I was like $9,000 or something, I think was my guess. Cause I was like, oh yeah, probably just over a couple grand. And she's like 25. So I was off by $16,000. And it was like, so it's just like, so here I could have had this wife, Maria could have had a jewelry store in, uh, yeah. in a spare bedroom and I wouldn't have known. But here, here she was paying off our mortgage. So I mean, I guess that's a good thing. But as soon as like that mortgage kept getting paid down, oh, we, we owe, it was a $342,000 mortgage. All of a sudden it's under three. All of a sudden it's under two. It's like, holyization's done. Oh my God, let's pay it off. and. Throughout all that, like Maria said, for the most part, I try to work it so I'd get a month off in, in uh, July or August, and we were still traveling. Like yeah, we, we were, were gone still, for a month at least a year. Yeah, the countries oh, we've been, yeah. to, in, been to and the things we've done. So, uh, so I mean, we weren't really that deprived. If I had to say, we were deprived of time together because I was yes. working a lot. We were definitely we weren't deprived in like that, but def- as far as like stuff, but definitely as far as time, we'd sacrificed our. T- time in those early years to kind of put ourselves ahead. And we knew that we knew what we were doing and we knew we had an end goal and it was a short term thing. So I think that was what was really important for us. But you're right. Neither of us has ever been really into stuff. Like I think that makes a big difference. I still have the same vehicle I bought three years before I ever met Maria, or maybe I met you that year, but we did before I had it three years before Maria and I started dating. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and the way I tell everyone, it's like my good old 2,500 CRV. Every month that I don't have to buy a new vehicle, I feel like it's paying me a thousand bucks because that's a new car payment, right? So it's like, and there's not much wrong with it other than it's 2005. The six CD player still works and, uh, you know. (laughs) Yeah. At least it doesn't have a tape deck. (laughs) It does have a tape deck. Oh, geez. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I I could be listening to cassettes in in the vehicle that I that I still have right now. So yeah, 
Yeah, so I hope that kind of answers your question a bit. You talk about not feeling deprived and like still going to travel, paying down the mortgage. What are some things specifically, obviously the vehicle, is there anything else that like personally has helped you guys to have more mindful spending around that has enabled you to pay down the mortgage and still travel? Well, I think there's been a few, like we've done multiple different kind of like hacks to kind of pay off our mortgage and we've adapted those into habits. Um, one of the things is just like, we looked at all the things that we were spending money on and made sure that we like valued it. So Jerry talks about his old vehicle, but I mean, there was at one point I tried to convince him to get rid of a vehicle and that we could go down to a one vehicle household. And <laughs> I had all these plans and how we could save money. And I do up all the numbers. And he looked at me, and he goes, not a chance. Like you're not. So I'm like, okay, fine. You value your car. Got that. Okay. Well, we don't have a payment for it or anything. It's like, if we were paying $1,500 a month for a, a newer vehicle and we could get rid of it then maybe it makes sense. But a paid off vehicle right now isn't that much extra cost. And I think like one of the other things we do is that we have like, we have a savings account, a high interest savings account that is separate to our banking account. And so we were doing this without even knowing that it was a thing. And then I read Mike Michalowicz's book, Profit First, I think it's called, or Pay Yourself First. And it's like, pay your your profit in first and then pay your bills with everything else. Because I mean, Parkinson's law says that your spending will adapt to how much money you have available. So if you make less money available, you'd be surprised at how much you can adapt to that. Mm-hmm. When Jerry says I had all that money saved away, it's like, cause I would take money out of our account and we'd put it into our savings accounts. Cause if we see that money, we think we can spend it. So as soon as we transfer it out, now all of a sudden that money sitting in the savings account, we don't see it. All of a sudden we check into it. It was like, Oh, there's some money there. And so we would, you know, half of the year put onto our mortgage, half of the year put into our RSPs. Then we got a tax break and then the tax benefit would, or credit would go towards our mortgage. And we just kind of used all these things. I mean, yeah, we traveled a bunch, but we, we travel hacked. We flew on points all yeah. the time. Cause we put everything on our credit card. In the job at the time where different countries were work. So I would just bring Jerry along. So then my trip was paid for and hotels and we just pay for his flight on points. Like there's all these little hacks that we could do that was like, but yeah, I just think like doing your research again, figuring out what, what, what values, like what values do you have and what do you want to spend your money on and then figure out, okay, so I want to spend my money on X. How do I spend it smarter? You can still have X and Y and Z, but how do you do it a bit smarter kind of thing? So I think yeah, that's or it's like thing. one little one little small thing where you save five or six hundred bucks on whatever little hack. That might mean two or three more experiences when you're on a trip. So it's like if you plan some things out and know some of these hacks, you know, you can still spend the same amount of money. It's not about saving money, but you'll get more experiences or you'll be able to do more stuff. So yeah, I think we did a lot of things like, oh, Maria did, not me. <laughs> just came along for the ride. I just came along for the ride. But I don't ever recall any time we went anywhere, did we ever like pay for two full flights. We have never once on any of our holidays both paid for a f- like mm-hmm. full, full price for a flight. Nice. It was always some type of one. One of us was on some type of points and sometimes the other flight might've had some type of discount. So yeah, I mean, whenever you can take advantage of points, it certainly helps. Jerry, you make a comment that you said, I've been coming along for the ride, but I think it's an important part that I can feel and see in you guys is that it seems like you're on the same page. And often it's hard for us to understand our own money like story, our own money trajectory, let alone have a couple. And that just complicates things even further. So I'm yeah. interested to talk about your guys' communication style around money, how you approach money. But first, before we go into that, I'm curious about your guys' individual money stories. And there's a lot of good research that shows how much impact our formative years have on us in terms of our relationship with money. So maybe Maria, I'll start with you. Growing up, was money a source of source of conflict? Was it happiness? Was it something that you guys didn't talk about? Maybe just speak to the overall feeling around money as a kid growing up. Well, I think a few things would pop up and like come to mind. I think money was very much about status growing up. So it was all about like, well, we had to, it's funny because I think I rebelled against my parents and, and I think both of us have parents that are, have a lot of possessions to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And we both rebelled against that and were like, whoa, we're the exact opposite. We don't want possessions kind of thing. And maybe it was growing up in those households, but it was very much about status. Like, look what we have, we can afford this, we can do that. I think there was also about control. Like there was a big control piece that was around money growing up. So in the fact that whoever was made the money, controlled the money and controlled what the family did. Or if my, I mean, I remember my parents, I have an older sister. And so they had bought her a car and then she did something that they didn't agree with. So they took her car away. And I remember thinking, okay, what if I buy something, then I own it and they can't take that away from me. So that was a big control piece. 
kind of thing. And so then I was very like rebelled to be independent and be like, no, I don't want your help. I want to do it myself because then I am in control of it. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a big piece. And I think that is like, that shows into that financial freedom piece, right? So that's, that control piece is still kind of been weaving its way in our life. Like I want to be able to now control my money. I want to be able to control my time, right? That is a big thing. I think that piece of control and wanting to control has created some interesting conversations in our relationship as far as things, because I mean, I know that money is a form of control. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. I try to over control Jerry spending. I mean, as much as he was more of a spend like a spender, I was this oversaver. We've kind of now made this like middle ground, right? I spend way more now than I would have felt comfortable with when I first met Jerry. You know, he needs he's teaching me to spend to your values and not just save and for saving sake. You know what I mean? And I'm teaching him to save a little bit, but still understand what you value kind of thing. Right. So I think that, that, yeah, that control piece has been definitely one that continuously pops up in our relationship and that we've been working through to just kind of find that balance, I think. Right. Oh, that's great. Jerry, maybe speak to your uh, childhood as with money, but also I would like to hear about you as a child and how money was, but also when you came into a relationship with Maria, where, I mean, <laughs> Maria, you can almost sense the control part to some degree, even when you took you, your words clawed into his paycheck. <laughs> That was Jerry's words, those not mine. Those are my words, but she's, <laughs> no, those are my words and she can't deny those words. <laughs> so Jerry, I, I'm, yeah, speak about what my, the sentiment of money growing up and then your perspective when you started seeing those claws come towards the paycheck. Growing up, I, I would say like, I literally I'm average, uh, grew up on a farm. Mom was a school teacher. I wouldn't say we had a huge farm. But we, you know, a, a mid-sized farm, seven, eight quarters. My dad would farm, so I, you know, we weren't same thing kind of as our my attitude is now. Like we, I wasn't deprived of anything. If we wanted to play hockey or sports, but did we ever take family trips to Disneyland? No. Would we have if my dad wasn't a farmer? Maybe. But uh, you know, when it was nice warm weather in the summer, we were on a tractor helping dad or doing whatever. So. Like I said, I wasn't deprived of anything, but but by no means were we rich in any in any form. And I mean, money is if if I could go back and see anything, I mean, the farm might have had some years where it made some money, but I feel like like the farm was a great builder of net worth, but I don't think it necessarily had reliable cash flow. So in a sense, the farm ate a lot of its own money, I would say. So my mom's income as a teacher was, I think, very important growing up. And like I said, it was my parents wouldn't deprive of of an experience or or, um, anything like that, that we wanted to do. But we weren't, you know, we weren't taking these luxurious, you know, trips every year. So I just had this very average, you know what I mean? Very simple life. When I met Maria, I mean, it was, I was still probably in that, you know, 20, well, I was in that mid twenties age group where it's like, I'm, I'm still trying to pretend like I'm youthful. Right. Um, so <laughs> you're still there wasn't, yeah, maybe I'm still doing that. Maybe I'll always be, do, maybe I'm always be doing that. But yeah. So then like, there was just never, ever the maturity to think about the things that Maria things that were important to Maria and like, let's sit down and talk about this. It was like, just save the money. And like, I don't care. There was some benefits to her being a little bit more responsible than me, but I definitely, it was definitely when you started paying down the mortgage. And then, so we do the, Sean, we said this, I won't, we won't go into in too much stuff, but six months of like from February to August, we'd save for the mortgage from August to February, we'd save for RSPs. Mm-hmm. So I think it was more when it's like, okay, those first few years where it's like, I put, you know, tens of thousands of dollars into RSPs and all of a sudden I'm getting, you know, ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 tax return. So I think when all of a sudden it was like those numbers were getting thrown around and then it's like, oh, and all of a sudden I hadn't really talked to Maria in six months about what our mortgage is at. And then all of a sudden she'd say, oh, we owe, you know, 280 on our mortgage now. And it's like, oh crap, the last time I checked, it was like 315 or, you know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. like, you're actually started to be some like big numbers getting paid down. And that's when I think it was more like, okay, I like this. And then. I said we travel hacked. So like it wasn't just all deprivation and you know, Maria yeah. Maria had me on an allowance or we were both on allowance, which is two hundred bucks a month. I'd still usually overspend and beg for more. 
and Maria would underspend and wouldn't take her allowance for six months and she'd still have like hundreds <laughs> of dollars of cash in but her I think nightstand. It's, 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 I think it's like, I always think back, like you think about like our relationship and it's starting. And so there's a really funny story about how, when we moved in together. So when we moved in together, so we were seeing each other and nobody really knew, like it was kind of on the slide that we were dating. Yeah. And so Jerry had moved into me with it. He was going to move in with me. And so he had called his parents and they don't live in town. They're out of town, obviously. And so there's like, how are things going? And you're living with whoever. And he goes, but can you guys take my couches? Cause I'm moving in with Maria. I'm like, well, who the heck's Maria? We've been dating for a while by that <laughs> yeah. point, but nobody knew. And so Jerry's mom was just typical. It was so funny. I don't think it was not typical, but she was just like, Jerry, she's going to steal all your yeah, you money. You can't move in with her. Now she can take all your money. And at that point, like to put it, to put it in perspective at that point, like Jerry had a car along the balloon payment. He had school loans. He was still paying <laughs> off. I had no payments. I had no, I had like, I had net worth. I had no debt. I had my own company at the time I was running. I had two vehicles. Like it was just like, it was so silly. And it was just like, he's like, what money is she going to take? And so now the running joke is now like we're this far down into our life. He's like, I should have listened to my mom. <laughs> should have listened to my mom. Haven't listened to her once, once in my life. I haven't listened to her that I actually should have listened to her. <laughs> but yeah, I think both of our monies are towards the same goal. Like as much as I was a saver, I never, and then much as, I mean, there were times where you would think I was hiding money, but it was always to our our joint goals. I never, there was never anything deceptive about what we did on both mm-hmm. ends. There was never anything secretive or hiding. We were both right from the get-go open and transparent. That was one of the things, even when we got engaged, Jerry kept joking, well, I'm going to propose to you. And I said, there's not a chance you don't have a ring. Like I'm looking at our financial statements. I, at that point I was managing both of our accounts. And so he actually got money from a friend to buy the engagement ring. So I oh, wouldn't see it because everything has been open on the table. I told her, I was like, yeah, I'm going to propose. It's in the closet. And it was actually in the closet. <laughs> yeah, he taunted me for like a month. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, that, that's neat. And actually, your guys' money stories are interesting that you align together because there's um there's this piece of research that we're, I, I'm, I'm taking this course right now in financial psychology and they talk about how a lot of times like, during the 19th century, the role of a man in a family was the breadwinner. His identity was to bring home the income. And as a result, today, we still adopt that sentiment to some degree, even though females have been working full-time for, oh, geez, since the 60s or before. But there's still this identity of the man bringing home the like the breadwinner. And it sounds clear that, Maria, you manage a lot of the expenses and a lot of this was your identity. Idea. And as you guys were talking, I was thinking like in my head, I'm like, I wonder what communication strategies you use to like for you, Jerry, to be like, yep, yeah, take, take this or not take it, but I'm cool with what you're doing. But when you mentioned to me about your mom was her income was really important for the farm because you weren't sure how the farm was doing. Yeah. It's interesting that you grew up observing and we know through social learning, we learn a lot from just making observations around us that your mom was maybe the breadwinner, so to speak, and the financially responsible person. And I'm just making an assumption. I wonder if that's transferred to your guys' relationship. So maybe, Jerry, just speak to the role your mom actually played financially in the house. And do you think that's had any sort of correlation with you being totally fine with Maria? Being quite happy to have Maria deal with everything. Like Like my dad essentially had my mom dealing with everything. I can't answer that because it'd be it's probably correct, John. Like, like you're you're probably hundred percent on to something. Cause I would say my dad's managing of finances is as good as mine, or like we have very similar skill sets where it's like, oh, somebody else will do it. Sweet. But yeah, I, I would definitely say that my mom and Maria probably have similar roles. Like my dad grew up on a farm a mile away from where our farm was. My dad was a farmer his whole life. And the more this world modernizes farms can't just be farms anymore they have to adapt mm-hmm. to modern business you know what i mean where i think you know 30 years ago you could operate a farm as the farm and you know 30 40 50 years ago very different business so i think my mom was more on top of that kind of thing or realized that my dad needed to be more on top of it. So I think, yeah, my mom, my mom got that role by default, just because I think my dad was just happy to just be a farmer kind mm-hmm. of thing. So yeah, I guess I'm kind of just the, I'm a power engineer, but I would argue, yeah, I'm, I have the simple farmer mindset, you know, and I'm glad I have Maria that's willing to 
go through our visa statements and bank statements monthly and, you know, track them and, and make sure because realistically, there's no way even now would I do that. <laughs> no, but I think there's also a lot of trust, right? Like, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. There has to be a lot of trust in our relationship to do this. I mean, we always joke that I do the paperwork, Jerry does the housework. Like that's yeah. been our delineation of roles from the get-go. Mm-hmm. But there has to be a lot of trust. If I'm going to do all of the paperwork and I'm going to, you know, move money to our accounts and pay things off, he's got to trust that I'm actually doing that and not spending it on something else or, you know, right. not kind of working towards our goal. So even though Jerry doesn't want to be actively involved, he is still involved in all those conversations. So I might do something and be like, Hey, Jerry, here's how the end worked out. Or, you know, at the end of the month, we're having these conversations, you know, or he doesn't want to be in the like daily numbers um, or not daily really, but he doesn't want to be like the dollars and cents numbers kind of guy. And I enjoy that role. So I'll do that. And, you know, he's scrubbing toilets and making supper. So, I mean, that works I don't mind. I'd rather do that than be looking at spreadsheets of, budgeting and and all that kind of stuff. And I know Maria is going to do all that because she grew up in a house of, you know, money is control. So she's going to want to know what all the numbers are, right? So maybe that's why it works. Yeah. I, I, you know what, you guys, because like money is a huge, huge influence or instigator for unhappy marriages, divorce, you see it in the stats. But one of the things that we see in successful relationships, if you read through studies, is communication and trust. So it's funny you bring that up, Maria. Maria, how did you guys take on the, like you clearly articulated certain roles. And I think that's where when people are building up, they're working toward financial independence. Sometimes people can operate in silos. Like one person wants to do this. The other person's just coming along for a ride because they care about that person. But after time, that care fades and issues happen. So Maria, how did you guys develop these roles? And and maybe it's as simple as I like this and he liked that. But what kind of communication did you guys have around it to make sure you guys are okay with it? Well, I think one of the strong points in our relationship has always been communication. Neither of us are the type of people, like we're both very transparent in everything we do. So there's never been like a, I'm going to try to, you know, show off for you or impress you. It was just like, here I am. Like Jerry says, he's a farmer. Like, you know, like here I am, take it or leave it kind of thing. And that's always kind of both in our mentalities. So that's definitely helped because we're not trying to, you know, impress the other person or, you know, do anything like that. We're both very authentic in that regard. And then I think in the beginning, it was just like, well, I'm going to manage money. And so I would get frustrated when Jerry, I mean, when we were dating, it was like, well, did you pay this bill or did you do that? And he's like, well, I don't know. And I'd get really frustrated. So it it came to a point where he's like, well, can you just like check this or do this for me? And so like we're at a point now where, I mean, his email goes to my phone because our phone bill used to go to his email and I would be mad because I couldn't find it. So now his email (laughs) goes to my phone so I can manage it, you know, and it's, it's kind of like comical at this point, but it works for us. And, you know, like he would get so frustrated. I remember when we were living in our condo, like there would be no horizontal space and you get so frustrated. The things that would drive him nuts. We we just about broke up. Like we literally wouldn't be here together. The one time I came home with three, I had three pizzas and these were lists like a normal, like they weren't an extra large pizza or anything. I couldn't set them down anywhere in the condo. It like turned into like just this absolute disaster. Right. So yeah, it was just like, okay, well, these are things that are important to you. These things are important to me, right? It was important to me that the bills got paid on time. I didn't care if, you know, our condo was a mess at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because now like need power, like, not to be cut yeah, off. Like now that we're home all the time, Jerry laughs because like now I've turned into this like massive clean freak. And he's like, Well, why do you care so much? It's like, well, because I'm home all the time now, right? Whereas before when I was busy, like we were working multiple jobs at the time. I didn't care if my house was a mess. I was out making money. So who cares? Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas Jerry's like, well, no, I still want to live in a place that looks good. So then I think it kind of just morphed into that. And then it became a joke as far as I would do paperwork if he did the housework. And then it just kind of stuck, you know, and even now I think it's kind of different. It's not as black and white now that we have a kid and our roles are a little bit different. I mean, I'm not, I'm still like, I'll cook dinner and things like that, but we're both, Jerry's also really good at being like, if there's something that needs to get done, let's just do it and not think, well, that's your job. So you have to do it. I'm going to wait Mm -hmm. around till you do it kind of thing. Right. So, I mean, as a shift worker, he'd be off. So if he was off on a day, like he had five days off and I was working, you know, 10 hour days because I was, you know, working teaching and then doing extracurriculars after, why would he expect me to come home and still make dinner? You know what I mean? Like that just became ridiculous. So Mm -hmm. it was just, he's very practical like that, which I think helps too. Yeah. But also knowing what roles we need to share, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. To, to maximize the, the time that we want to spend with each other, we kind of have to like have those separate roles so that we're efficient as a mm-hmm. couple. But then like Maria said, it's like, it doesn't make sense for her to be 
you know, for me to sit around and wait for her to come home and make dinner, you know, because if I can have dinner made, yeah, then we can spend more time together, mm-hmm. you know, once once she does get home. So you don't just sit at home and twiddle your thumbs doing nothing. And she's like, where's dinner? You're like, hey, that's not my role. <laughs> we laugh, but I, I grew up in a household that had that. So it was uh, very, it's interesting when Jerry comes, like when we go back to my parents sitting there and my mom loves it because Jerry will be in the kitchen doing dishes like she just loves it so it's kind of cute that's awesome it's really nice to hear the background like what's going on behind the scenes because like I mean it doesn't matter if you have four million dollars a million dollars five hundred thousand dollars in the bank account if a couple is not at a space that's healthy it doesn't matter what kind of money we have so I really like I mean that's my takeaway is like having really clear rules but also you know sharing the other person's role and stepping in when need be. Now, in terms of your financial plan, can you just speak to what financial planning is for you? And we've talked about developing that why, being able to communicate properly with our spouse, engaging the spouses so that we're both on the same page, knowing that, hey, money doesn't represent everything. But at the end of the day, we still need to have money to facilitate these things. So why don't you speak to what financial planning is for you and what have you guys have decided to leverage to help you propel to financial independence? Well, I think originally we didn't really have a plan for financial planning. I think our plan was just save. We knew nothing about investing. So if we just saved all this money, it would be great. But now like being a bit more knowledgeable, we know that investing is definitely going to you know, skyrocket that ability more than just saving will. We have investment properties. So we own and self-manage nine rental properties. We currently have a mortgage again. We work mortgage-free for five years, but then we kind of upgraded our house and like, we moved to a new home and we decided to turn our other one into a rental so we couldn't pull the equity out. So we do have um, a mortgage on our current property that we're living in, which we cannot wait to get rid of. I personally hate paying a mortgage bill every month. So, I mean, so there's that. And then we also, we're not fully invested in real estate. I mean, I'm a teacher, so there is some pension money there. Jerry's got a bit of a pension at his work. We are invested. We do work with an independent financial planner who we invest our some investments with as far as um, private equity. So we have some private equity stuff. We have some, you know, regular ETF broad-based market funds as well, kind of thing that we self-do on our own. So we have some TFSAs, we have our RSPs, we're kind of got our hands in a little bit of everything. We still have some mutual funds that are like 2% MER, which (laughs) goes against everything financial independence. But Mm -hmm. uh, I think the amount we have and with the balance of everything else we have, I think we're still comfortable right now. Yeah. Right now at this point. I think we have like, so, so we still have this huge capacity to save every month. So we're saving this big chunk of money and then we have these conversations. Okay. So we have X number of dollars where the, where's that money best deployed right now. And so we still try to do the half mortgage, half RSP kind of system that mm-hmm. worked for us in the beginning. So we're going to go back to that now that we have a yeah. mortgage again, but when it comes to RSP time, it's like, okay, so where are they best suited? Are we going to go into private equity this year? Are we going to go into our self-directed RSP that we're working on ourselves? Like, where do we want to put that money based on the you know market conditions and things like that? The, trying to get the best bang for our buck, I think, is a, a bit of our investment yeah, strategy. But we always have that conversation and even like monthly or even bi-monthly, like if we have let's say we've saved a few thousand dollars each month and have, you know, however many thousands of dollars right now with the market's low, we're kind of holding off on making any major decision. But if we wouldn't have this big pandemic going on, like we would every second month go and throw however many thousands of dollars on the mortgage, Mm -hmm. but we'd still have that conversation. Okay. We've got this much saved. Should we go put it on the mortgage? That's our goal right now. Let's go put it on there. No point in paying the extra interest on it. Let's just get it paid down. So yeah, it's kind of a save once we have enough money or enough value there. We'll actually have a, sometimes it's a simple conversation because we are already on the same page, but yeah, talk about it and then, and then go deploy it. Right. And so at the start of this, you said at first we didn't have a financial plan. We're saving a lot. And I mean, I, I think that at the essence is a financial plan. I was going to say that if, if, if 95% of Canadians could have that plan, oh my God. I don't think we had a plan for our money. We just said, it was like, we were Scrooge McDuck at that point. Yeah. Like, just like, let's just accumulate it. What is you it going to do? You were Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> I was just Donald Duck. <laughs> my question for you guys is that I find often people get intimidated with the concept of financial planning, all the intricacies and the knowledge that you might be able to know. Like even what you guys talked about, private equity, broad-based ETFs. For some people, this is like, what are they talking about? Be honest with this. What do you think is more important in terms of having a financial plan? Just 
saving or understanding all the technical nuances on how to get an increased percentage or half percentage return. Having done a lot of the different types of investments, yeah, I'm just interested in what do you think is <laughs> my three options are this. Is it most important to learn how to save, communicate, or understand all the technical nuances of investing? I think honestly, like if you're just starting out and you're like feeling overwhelmed, just save. Like mm-hmm. that, that is a plan. You're right. I mean, you don't have a plan for your money per se. You're just saving, but that's a good start. I think it is easy to be very confused. I think I, at one point we did this online course on investing and I was mm-hmm. just like, we have no clue what this is, it's but you can just learn as you go. You don't need to know what all of these things are. You can just start saving and then, okay, well what, and you start doing a little bit of research. And then when you feel comfortable, start doing stuff. I think I'm a big fan of like DIY. You can do your own investing. There's a ton of different platforms out there that you can do that. If you just learn a few different terms, all of a sudden you can kind of do that and be very cautious. If you want to be be risky, you know, figure out what your risk tolerance is and things like that. But if you're absolutely don't get overwhelmed and think, well, it's too complicated. I'm not going to do anything, Mm -hmm. you know, just start saving and then find somebody. And it doesn't have to be necessarily you know, I mean, you could pay someone to do it or not pay someone to do it, but find someone who knows a little bit more than you and ask them questions, mm-hmm. right? It could be a colleague or, you know, there's Facebook groups or whatever, like find someone, ask a few questions and then, or, you know, read a blog, whatever you want to do, read, get a little of information. And then as you, like we, where we are today, we were not there, you know, 10 years ago. Right. Absolutely not. When we got first got married, you know, a decade ago, we had no clue on any of this stuff, yeah. but we just kind of learned a little bit, a little bit but as you go. The thing I'll say, and I would say from our example, I think we proved it. If you save, Sean, so if somebody has to go out and you got the choice, save or get all this info. If you save and all of a sudden at the end of the year, you have X amount of dollars in your account, you're all of a sudden going to start to care about that account. Mm-hmm. But if you go out and get all this information, you have none of your own dollars, mm-hmm. you're not going to care. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's nothing of value to care about. And that information isn't valuable to me or to you. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you go out and save and you have that, you know, thousand, thousand, whatever that number is, you're going to go, okay. If I have to give this to someone else, I want to know a little bit about what they're doing with it. Or even if it's as simple as, you know, an index, broad-based index ETF fund. Okay, I'm putting it in there. Oh, this is the chart. Oh, this is what it's been doing since 1984. Okay, good enough. But you'll probably still go out and figure, even if it's a little bit of info out. But if you just go and get a bunch of info and you have nothing saved... I don't think that's going to motivate you to mm-hmm. see. Yeah. That'd be my opinion. And I, I'm glad like you guys share that sentiment, just having done so many different types of savings and sure different vehicles can increase your savings. But yeah, if you don't, if you don't save, like you're saying, Jerry, that information doesn't actually matter. If you if you're not going to apply it or if it's, yeah. you know what I mean? Information means nothing until relevant. you can apply it. Exactly. Right? So, so like I said, just go out, save a hundred dollars a month. At the end of the year, you've got 1200 bucks. You'll probably want to know a little bit about, okay, well, how is this 1200 going to grow to 1300 or whatever? Yeah. And I think that's the, the, the message that I like getting out is that person who saved $1,200 a month is better off than someone who just keeps accumulating information, just doesn't apply it. And that goes to anything, mm-hmm. physical health, eating. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, I, just, I think, I think Maria and I right now, if you were to, to be, our financial knowledge grows as our net worth grows, mm-hmm. because the more net worth we have, the more we need to be knowledgeable on how to protect it and how to keep it growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not a selfish who look at our big net worth. No, that's yeah. just a flat out. We worked hard to, to get this net worth. It we wasn't really, it. wasn't really handed to us and we want to do what's best with it. Yeah. So yeah, that, like I said, it's, to me, go out, save, save us first. If it's as simple as I'm just going to pay down my mortgage, who cares? That's still Ev- saving. Everyone can argue what the best decision financially is. Mm-hmm. We've said that many times before. You just got to come up with your own plan, execute it, and be happy with the choice you made. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm really hearing with you guys is identify that financial why or motto in your guys' terms. Save. And something that you guys haven't said, but you can hear it. And when you listen to the podcast, if you do, I'm sure you'll see your guys' communication is, is really, really good. But also something that you said that we haven't touched on is just having those monthly checkups. You guys said monthly or bi-monthly just touching base with each other. And uh, Maria, you've talked about how you would do that with Jerry. So I think those are big, big takeaways for anybody. Absolutely. I mean, 
I think money is something that is very kind of taboo. Nobody really wants to talk about it, but the more you shine a light on it, the more you realize, oh, it's not really that scary. It's like when you don't talk about something, it builds up. Mm-hmm. Whereas money is something where we are continuously having money conversations in our household on a, you know, maybe day-to-day, week-to-week basis kind of thing. Not necessarily like, oh, we have five more dollars today or whatever, but money is something that is not. Yeah. And it's not about being rigid and in control. It might be as simple as Maria's going, I'm going to put this many thousand dollars down on the mortgage. And I might go, Oh, you know what? The guys at work are talking about doing a ski trip. Maybe you should hold off a thousand bucks because we all might go do this three day trip here, which is going to, you know what I mean? I might need some cash if we group book it or something. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's not about like, Oh, I'm putting this down. We now have no more money. It's more of, okay, we're going to put this down. Are we good till the next source of income comes in my paycheck or Maria's paycheck or whatever. So yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's like, it's, 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 it's not necessarily a, okay, this, these are the rules of, of money for March. But I think, yeah, it's a big, it's just being open to talk about that. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't, I think a lot of people are scared of the numbers and they're scared of showing the numbers, but you can have a lot of money conversations also without the numbers. Right. It's about what's your goal. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Jerry and I both have common goals and regardless of what that dollar amount is, that goal, that common goal, having those conversations is still a money conversation, right? Like there's a lot of money conversations you can have without the anxiety of numbers and figures and spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to wind down some questions here, but Maria, overall, what does money mean to you? Freedom. Freedom. I think we said that before. I think money is something that time is the finite resource. So I can use money to kind of buy back my time and be able to control that. Okay. Jerry, is you similar or different? Yeah, pretty similar. I, I mean, I, I'll go with the, like, you, you're going to have more choices, right? The more money you have. And you may not explore those choices, but to me, money is opportunity. It's choices that you don't get without it. And, uh, you know, I think if, if you manage your money pretty well, it can be a very uh, useful tool uh, that shouldn't be scared. You shouldn't be scared of it or shouldn't be, you know, frown upon yourself if your income isn't high enough or whatever. Mm-hmm. To me, it's all about increasing your net worth. Mm-hmm. As long as that trend's going up, then you're probably going to put yourself in a good position where you're going to have a lot of choices that you appreciate, you know, as soon as five, 10 years down the road. Right. The most hated F word is all about breaking that taboo, talking about finances or money. What do you think is creating money to be the most hated F word? And that's from a study in Canada. People are most stressed about money. Like, why do we think it stresses yeah. people out? Yeah. I think that part of it is a lack of knowledge. I think part of it is there is some part of like the financial industry that wants to make your money seem really complicated so that you can't kind of control it to a certain extent. But I think once you, understand. I think there's also some embarrassment, some shame. Mm-hmm. We aren't really open talking about debt and things like that. Whereas like so many people have debt. If we talk about it, then it doesn't become a thing. But I think there's some embarrassment. There's some shame around that. And we need to just stop shaming people about debt and where they are in their finances and just be like, Hey, that's where you are. Great. Let's, you know, come up with a plan to be where you want to be, you mm-hmm. know, and just be more open about that. Oh, that's great. Two more questions. If you could, either one of you, if you could recommend a book that you read that's really shifted your your thinking towards money or or life in general, because I think they're very interchangeable. I've got two. I've got two, (laughs) one for both of us. I'm going to say JL Collins wrote The Simple Path to Wealth. I think that one's a great one as far as um, investing goes and understanding that. And then I think talking about like the interplay between time and money is Vicki Robbins, Your Money or Your Life. So I think those two would be the books that I would recommend as a beginner. I mean, if you want Canadian, like Wealthy Barber is always a good Canadian wine Mm -hmm. to start out with. Wealthing like rabbits. Wealthing like rabbits. It's written in a very like easy way. To start, yeah, by Robert Brown. So yeah. All four of those are excellent. My dad gave me Wealthy Barber when I was a kid and I, (laughs) I appreciated that now. My final question, and you guys can join to answer this individually, but however old you guys are, add that many years to be 90 years old and imagine yourself looking back at your life and looking at yourselves to say, I did it. I lived a happy life. Everything went according to plan. And I guess the plan is living that happy life. What do you think the top three things that had to happen in your lifetime that made you say, I did it. I lived a good life. Travel. Travel. Yeah. I think we'd want to travel and uh, work for ourselves in some capacity. Yeah. Work for ourselves. And then I would argue that everybody has to give back Mm -hmm. in a sense. And so I, I think we would, figure out some way to help people 
that want to help themselves, but maybe aren't in a financial situation to help themselves. So I think we would do something like that. And whether that be domestically or internationally, I guess. I think there's a time component of that too, right? We can give our time more of that time time as well. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, no, I think Maria's right. It doesn't necessarily have to be financially as well, but uh, I think there'd be those three aspects would definitely have to uh, be covered for us to be happy with ourselves. However many years down the road. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Despite having some internet troubles, thanks so much for sharing your insight on uh, your guys' journey in the financial independence space. Thank you for no uh, letting thanks us for, share a story. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you for tuning in to the Most Hated Effort Podcast. If you're enjoying the content, please leave me a review on iTunes. I greatly appreciate it. Well, now it's time for me to get the F out of here.